Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today. Welcome in on a Monday morning. That was a phenomenal playoff on the PGA Tour. That was a really interesting NBA playoff game last night with the Bucks and the Hawks. We got to get to Chris Middleton, and that was a big-time performance by him. And, and Giannis was big, too, but Middleton was just off the charts. And the Suns have a chance to send Chris Paul to the NBA Finals for the first time tonight, and we got to get to that. There's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, BYU, you don't go anywhere without good coordinators. Both coordinators, offensive and defensive, coming up later in this hour. And as the Cougars get ready to kick off their... Uh, Follow-up season to a tremendous campaign, and how do they double down on that? And we'll get to that coming up. But the big story of the night, the big story of the morning, and a story that possibly some of you don't know. I think many of you do. It broke right before many of you went to bed. But some of you may have unplugged and gone to bed a little on the early side and not have heard the news, so I'm about to break it to some of you. Others of you uh, saw it on TV or saw it on Twitter or wherever or on the web. Uh, but Dennis Lindsay is no longer calling the shots day-to-day in the Utah Jazz organization. He's moving into an advisory role. And now the general manager, Justin Zanuck, will assume control of the daily operations. And there are a lot of big decisions to make. Got a draft coming up. That's always critical. Free agency is coming up. Who can the Jazz get? That's critical. Can they keep Mike Conley on what terms? That's all got to be negotiated. And so there's a lot to do. Justin Zanuck's plate was already full, and now it's really full. Um, And I know a lot of you wonder, you know, why did this happen? Uh, What does this mean for the Jazz going forward? What does this mean for Dennis Lindsay going forward? Um, What does this mean for Ryan Smith ownership? What conclusions can we draw from this? I mean, there are a lot of ways to go. Uh, Let's start with how surprising is this? Uh, I thought it was coming. I didn't know if it was coming this summer or next summer. PK PK and I actually had a conversation off the air. Last week, and I told him, I, I really believe this is coming. I think we're getting near the end of the Dennis Lindsay era, but uh, I, I, can't, I cannot guarantee you the timing. I just don't know. And it turned out the timing was last night. <clears throat> now, it seems engineered pretty well, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't want to say that Dennis um, wanted this or that he's thrilled by it, um, but I do think that... Um, from what I've seen, that he saw it coming, and so on some level was accepting and thought, hey, well, this is the situation, let's make the best of it. Um, So for Dennis going forward, and we can get more into this later, um, you know, I I won't be surprised if he stays in an advisory role for a while. The job he was in is a grind. You rarely get to take your foot off the accelerator. I think we just saw this with Danny Ainge, and we heard it in the interview that Danny did with the Boston radio station. Hey, I want to work, but I don't want to work this hard. You know, and now Dennis is younger, uh, so Dennis could sit in an advisory role for a year or two, and then maybe hop back in and run another club. Uh, if I were an owner and my team were in the bottom quarter, third half of the NBA, and I had a chance to get Dennis Lindsay, he can make me a lot of money. And I mean, this is a business. Think about the money. If you're in the, you know, if your team twenty, twenty three, twenty seven, whatever. And you look at this guy and you think, well, I'm pretty sure he can get me to be Team 15 or Team 11 or Team 9. And I think Dennis's track record, what do you do with the Jazz, says he can do that. Well, even if he doesn't win a title, he makes a franchise worth a lot of money. You know, the team gets better. You're selling more luxury suites, season tickets. You're selling more corporate sponsorships, signage, all jerseys, all that stuff, right? Makes the team worth more money. So I won't be surprised if Dennis gets back in. And I think maybe he, you know, probably kind of saw where this was headed 
And when he realized where it was headed, uh, probably set himself up the best. He steps down. It's an advisory role. There isn't a ton of ugly conflict boiling out in the open. Whether you think there was a little, none, a lot, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't know. As I sit here now, I got like you, I got a lot of questions. You know, this broke last night, and there'll be a chance down the line in a day, a week, a month, or whatever to talk to some people and kind of flesh it out more. Hopefully, that'll happen sooner, not later. But um, I think Dennis kind of managed this. And I think it's the direction Ryan wants to go as well. You know, if you get into the why did this happen, I don't think there's one reason. I don't think you can say it's this or it's that. And I am sure people are going to point to this and to that. But I think, I think it's a whole lot of things. You know, um, I think we all know that new owners, regardless of the industry, I've certainly seen it in TV and radio, that new owners want their own people running the show. And that's true in sports, and that's probably true in construction and, I don't know, whatever else. Education beats me. Uh, whatever. Fill in the blank industry. So I think that is a factor. Um, you know, I think another factor is that Dennis is, um, <clears throat> and it always cracks me up when we take calls or People email us or hit us up on Twitter. You know, the Jazz are so passive. They're so quiet. You got to be out there competing. You got to be your nose. Like, hey, trust me. Dennis is plenty competitive, if anything, to a fault. You know, does he blow up sometimes? Yes. Everybody in the organization will tell you that. And so I think that one of the factors in this is it's time. You know, it's just time. Things have kind of run their course. And was that timeline moved along because there's a new owner? Probably. Some of you, you know, well, it's because it went out in the second round. Well, I can't tell you that going out in the second round wasn't a factor, you know. Would it have been different if they'd gone to a conference final or to the NBA finals or if they'd won it all? I think my answer largely is no, probably not, but I can't guarantee you. I mean, if they'd won it all, would they have wanted to run it back? Of course, there would have been a natural temptation to do that. So a lot of things that did happen or could have happened and didn't happen, you know, I think a lot of things come together to put him in this moment. Um, you know, it's it's always um, it's always competitive and combative behind the scenes. The public doesn't really want to see it. Most people don't want it out there. But you can go back to the Jerry Sloan era. You know, the further we get away from it, the more it's St. Jerry, right? It's just, you, you forget the warts. You remember the good times. There were plenty of people who wanted Jerry fired at different times. And Larry Miller got really mad at him, but he never let him go. Um, <clears throat> but I'll give you an example. One time they got really combative behind the scenes with the Jazz. And I don't think everybody in the organization was happy with Jerry. But Jerry didn't want Brian Russell on the team anymore. And I think there were people in the organization who did. And I'm not clear on what Kevin O'Connor wanted. I kind of think he wanted him in there, but I've never gotten a definitive answer on that. Um, But Jerry came on talking sports. And I asked him because he knew where Brian was in his contract. Okay, this this could be an issue. You know, will Brian be back? And and, And I really thought he'd probably talk around it, but maybe he'd tip his hand a little bit. Maybe we could read between the lines. And Jerry just came, Jerry just came out and said, no, he won't be back. He's done? Yep, that's it. He's done. <laughs> like, wow. He put it out there on TV so it couldn't be walked back. He ended it. Do I think every, that's not how the Jazz did business in that era? Quite frankly, it's not how they do business in this era. Uh, but Jerry did it. He just did it. So there's always stuff going on behind the scenes. And I know it turns into a soap opera and people want to throw out the names of, you know, Player, star player, GM, coach, whatever, you know, depending on the situation. But that stuff's always going on to some level. Think about the company you work in. There's drama. You know there is. So you got all these things coming together. Now, <clears throat> what does it mean for the Jazz going forward? What, how will 
how will Zanuck shape this team differently? And how will other voices in the organization from, you know, scouting to coaches to ownership to who to players, to star players, how will their voices be heard? Will some of them be a little more prominent? Because that automatically means other voices aren't as prominent, right? Um, you know, how does that play out? Uh, too early to tell. Don't have good answers for you. And I think looming, and this is going to be the unasked question in many stories you hear, uh, that you read, that you see. And I think this is a massive question. What does Ryan Smith want next? And I don't think many of us are prepared to answer that right now, much better than we were last week. Now we know one more thing. Now we know one more thing. But the reason we got so good at predicting what the Jazz would do is that we watched how Larry Miller operated over a number of years. And you start getting in 8, 10 years, 12 years, you start to get a pretty good idea. Well, Ryan Smith's a little ways away from that, isn't he? You know, And he's bound to change and grow as an owner. Being in the spotlight will do that to you. You know, you start, you know, you start seeing how the public reacts to a lot of the stuff you're doing. Yeah, it might change how you work. So we got to figure all that out. Um, you know, where are the Jazz going? How does this impact the draft? I will say one thing, and this has been out there in public view. I think that Quinn Snyder um, likes that uh, kind of, not, not small ball because he values Rudy too much, but he, he loves that option. And I think we saw in a press conference three years ago that Dennis really values the notion of the traditional big um, and I don't think this is just a Dennis and Quinn thing. I think you go through the organization, you find people on both sides of this. How much do you value the traditional big? And Dennis did quite a bit. And it was, uh, let's see, it would have been, i got to get my years right, it would have been three years ago at a press conference. And what's going to happen with Favors going in the last year of his deal? And um, I think that was three years ago. Maybe I'm off. See, I'm doing math on the radio. That never works well. Um, but, you know, Dennis gave the full-throated, hey, we don't win that Clipper playoff series without Derek Favors, which was true because Rudy Gobert got hurt in Game 1 and then uh, didn't play again until Game 5. You know, up until that point, um, and, you know, and Quinn's face kind of tightened up in that moment. <laughs> you know, up until that point, they'd always done press conferences together. Now they haven't done them together anymore. Um, but I think if you just paint this as a Dennis and Quinn thing, you're missing the point. I think, I think a lot of streams are coming together at this moment to make this river, you know, the way it is. And I know a lot of you wonder about Ainge going forward. Good grief if you know anybody who works at BYU. I swear two out of three people in parking services have an opinion on this. The guys who mow the lawns have an opinion. Everybody down there. And I don't know how much of it's wishing and wanting to make it come true. And how much it really is. You know, what role is Ainge going to have in this? He's coming in here. They're best friends. Oh, my gosh. I hear that a lot. Um, but I think in all these guys, they might seem, need some time away before they do whatever they do. Now, everybody doesn't. You know, everybody doesn't. Andy Reid didn't. Andy Reid got it. He was out with the Eagles, and boom, he was in with the Chiefs. I mean, it was just bing, bing. That was just turn the page and move on. But we do see a lot of people, even someone as driven and competitive as Pat Riley, takes a year off, you know. So I know everyone's going to be all fired up this morning, and there's not much we're going to do to throw cold water on it. But I would just advise against saying it's this one thing, and now this one thing is going to happen next. I think there's still a lot of unknowns out there. And I think there's a lot of different forces at work at the same time.
So we'll try to sort this out more as the morning goes along. We got to get to BYU. We got to get to the uh, the Bucks game. What a performance by Chris Middleton! Uh, we'll do all that coming up. DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Going to hear from the Cougar coordinators in a minute as well. Stay with us. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll get to BYU football momentarily. But first, two quick minutes on the NBA playoffs. We had three crazy games this weekend. The Bucks with a massive blowout in Game 2 to tie the series. And then coming from behind in the fourth quarter to win and to actually really control the last couple minutes of that game. This isn't a game that went down to the wire. The Bucks ended up winning by nine. But from the, the seven-minute mark to about the three-minute mark, the Bucks really made their move. And it was mostly Chris Middleton. He got hot from three, and that was a heck of a shooting performance. They're down seven with seven minutes to go. It's 95-88. He hits a three. They get a stop in a bucket. They get another stop, and Middleton hits another three. That quick, it's an 8-0 run. And they got the lead. And the Hawks tied the game back up at 98, and Middleton hits another three. Giannis goes into the post and scores, and Middleton hits another three. Four big three-pointers in four minutes, and that game flipped. It was over, and the Hawks cruise home and win at 112-103. They finished on like a 25-7 run, and Middleton has 38 points and 11 rebounds, and Giannis has 33 and 11 rebounds. Those two came through big time, and they, they were in trouble. They were taking on water with seven minutes to go in the game down seven. I mean, it's not impossible. Obviously, they went on the 25-7 to run and won it. But if you were watching the game, you're like, man, Milwaukee better get going. And they're, they're in a little trouble here. And they got going in a big way. And now the Hawks are in trouble. They need to win game four at home. I know technically it's not a must-win game. But you drop two home games, you lose three in a row, and you think you're suddenly going to win three in a row and two of them on the road? Seems unlikely. Seems like the Bucks better win Game Four, or the Hawks had better win Game Four Tuesday, or this is the Bucks series they're going to the finals, and they've been to the uh, NBA Finals since '74. It has been a while, right? It's been a hot minute, and the Suns can get there tonight. They haven't been since Barkley took them in '93, and the Suns are up three-one after grinding out, and man, that score was stuck on seventy-one to seventy forever. But the Suns found a way to get it done. They won in LA. They're up three to one. They're in great shape now, and they got a chance to close it out at home tonight. All right. I kind of expect they will, too. And the Clippers have... I know the Clippers have gotten off the mat, and I shouldn't count them out, but here I am. Count them out. All right. Right now, time to talk BYU football. Can the Cougars back up a good season with another really good season? You can't do it without good coordinators. And... We're going to start with Aaron Roderick, who is kind of a new coordinator, but not really. He's been on the staff. He's in charge of the passing game. He's been an offensive coordinator before. He knows all the talent in the program because he's been there and he's established. So I think, although it is a transition, it ought to be about as smooth as you could hope. Now, they've sent an NFL, they sent an offensive lineman to the NFL, third round of the draft. They sent a quarterback. I believe it should have gone in order, right? The quarterback went number two in the entire draft. So it's not like they don't have talent to replace. Uh, here's Aaron Roderick with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, to BYU football, what people really want to hear from Aaron Roderick, although they enjoy commiserating with you. 
So obviously it always starts <laughs> to the quarterback or yeah. placing the quarterback. And you're not going to tell us now, yeah. even though we want you to. <laughs> but do you, in your mind, have you seen some separation? Or are you really, it's a, I don't know what the metaphor is. It's a coin toss. It's a, three horses at the top of the uh top of the turn coming home at the derby i don't know what is it yeah i wish i had something new to tell you since the last time you guys asked me this at the end of spring but um it's a there's three guys in the mix and i have a uh, a really i think a good plan for how i'm gonna um distribute the reps early in camp and um they're good players i, I believe in all three of these guys um, but we're we're gonna just give them the reps and make a tough decision and and you know it's not a it's not an exact science sometimes you don't get it right and sometimes it takes a while to sort it out so I hope our uh, fans will just pull for whoever's in there and and trust that we're we are doing our best to work our way through it. I'm just upset that uh, the Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils didn't use some illegal tactics to get Conover to stay home. <laughs> that's what's taking me off, man. But that's another story. He's, he's, he's going to be a good player, he's man. He's a Chandler guy. And so this is his first uh, foray, basically, yeah. into rec- into uh, competing for the starting job, whereas Hall and Romney have been down this road before. Correct. And what's amazing to me is in this world of college football, if you don't have the starting job wrapped up by the third practice of your freshman year, you're out the door. And <laughs> you have been able to keep these two guys in the program and now, from a sense that that, to me, gives me a sense of confidence in that they have been uh, here for a good number of years, so they know what's going on. And so whoever you choose should be able to, to a degree anyway, I think, be able to hit the ground running. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and um, I'm glad you mentioned that they've stayed because uh, I think it says a lot about those two guys right. that they've they've stuck it out here for a, bit, a while now and... and both of them have had some great moments on the field playing in big games and some, both of them have had to also pay some dues uh you know and watch a guy who was playing at a pretty high level and then both of them have been through some injuries and so there's a lot there and a lot of reasons why either one of them could have left or or jaron could have just gone and played baseball or they could have transferred and they've, they've stuck it out and i think it says a lot about their character it also says a lot about kalani in the program that he has Established, I think our players like playing football in this program, and we don't have we we do not have as many guys transferring out of here as you're seeing at a lot of other places because I think guys like playing for him. So I'm curious how much coaches lay stuff out for guys before you get too far down the road. I went back and was checking, and you can probably check snaps. I've just been checking starts, but the number of starts that second and third string quarterbacks get at BYU, and I've looked at it at Utah too over the last decade, and I haven't broken it down, but we follow Boise State and Stanford. I know they've both gone deep into their quarterback rooms. So do you explain that to guys before you get too far down the road in competition? Because if you tell a guy, hey, you're third string on the depth chart, but hey, the third string, you know, it might be a little late for that message to sink in. Do you tell them in spring ball, hey, this is going to sort itself out, but you need to know this. This is how college football works. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, approximately, oh, we did a study a few years ago, uh, uh, and we I can't remember how many years the study was, but basically there's about 20 teams a year that make it through the whole year with, with one QB. And out of 120 or 130, whatever, yeah, it's 130 now. Yeah. There, there's about 20 a year that make it through the year with just playing one guy. Now, um, 
the, the uh, you know just the chances of needing somebody else to be ready to go are very high and and so I that's one thing I feel great about and I think it gives everybody some hope to keep working and then the other the other thing is that these guys are all still young I mean clockwise I mean Baylor and Jaron have been here a while and they're returned missionaries so they're getting older but they're sophomores and then you've got Conover who's a true freshman um, he's still got five years to play four so I think that's another reason to just you know you got to be got to be professional about it and work your way through it and understand that there's still enough time left for all three of those guys to have a great great career and that that's very possible that could that could happen so we know about the phenomenal season last year and you're a norm child disciple and i can remember norm one year you know he had a way of saying things that uh kind of put you in your place and one year the utes had a good season and he said basically i thought i'm paraphrasing but i think i got it he said well anybody can have a good season the key is to have a good program yeah. So, you know, you had a couple of mediocre years, some disheartening losses your first couple of years. You break through last season. A lot of people want to claim schedule, and maybe there's some truth to that. But at the same time, you had all those guys drafted, so the NFL obviously thought you had talent. So the point being, uh, what is there that can convince people that you have a program as opposed to a season? Well, we got to go win this year. You know, we got to put a, we got to put together another great year. And, um you know, I, I don't think it's wise to uh, try to define, you know, or try to come up with a number or, or a, 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 you know, some, some sort of hallmark that defines what a great season is. And, and you know, um, but we learned in the last year and a half, I would say, we've learned what it takes to win. The process that you go through to win games. And I think that that foundation is there. And I think I have a lot of confidence that we're going to continue to do that and that you're going to start to see that we are a really strong program. Um, but right now, we're, I've got our team focused on the process of what it takes to win a game and not thinking about the end result. And if you stack enough of those good days together of doing what you're supposed to do to beat Arizona, and then you just keep stacking those days up, at the end, we'll have a lot of wins. Well, and you damn well better beat Arizona. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> you know who you're dealing with. You know why he says that. I do. You just got to blow that off. I, stay mentally focused on the interview and don't worry about little, you know. The listeners can't see my eye roll. Right? <laughs> I could. <laughs> I want to be engulfed in a massive shiitake hug <laughs> down in Vegas on that uh, yeah. Saturday. So, you know the narrative is out there. P- P- PK referenced it about the schedule wasn't tough last year. That's why yeah. they won. But I go back two. I don't really buy it because I go back two years and you're seven and six, and you beat USC at home, and you beat Tennessee, and I realize you win them both by, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like literally one play flips those games. But you win them, but then you have fourth quarter leads, and you lose at Toledo and South mm-hmm. Florida and Hawaii, and you get outscored. And the difference, I thought, and this goes back to PK's point about a program, not a season. When you had a running back to help kill games, you were good. You had a running back injury, and you didn't really have the depth to run the ball as effectively and just really dominate a fourth quarter physically that way. The O-line seems to have grown up over two years, and I know some guys have moved on to the pros there too, but do you think you have the O-line and the running back and the depth at those positions that when you have the fourth quarter lead, you can seal the deal? Because it wasn't the Power 5 programs that were giving you the problem. Yeah, it was it was uh, just we weren't um, as experienced and we weren't 
a complete team yet. We hadn't learned yet how to close out games, how to how to play full four quarters week to week, um, how to just make it through the grind of a season. I mean, the margin of error is small, and and um, you know, South Florida, the South Floridas of the world. You know, last year Central Florida, Boise State, mm-hmm. Houston, those types of teams are good. <laughs> those teams are just as good as most of the Power Five teams we're going to play, and so. You have to be ready to play every week. And um, it took us a while to learn, I think, how to just, you know, be prepared to play every week, how to finish games. And uh, and then you're right. If you remember that Hawaii game, there was a critical third and two at the end of the game where we elected to throw a pass on third and two. I do and remember. we were... Should have heard my language. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 I think every coach First in our receive no less. Look, look, we we make we make mistakes. I think every coach in our staff wishes we would have run the ball there. We do. Okay, and in fact, we had a run play called the play before. Uh, we had a run play called the play before, and there ended up being a timeout, and then we ended up we ended up, uh, we we showed our we showed our play. The de- the defense saw the play as the timeout was being called, so we switched to a pass. It was a mistake. We, we, you know, I think all of us regret that. But at the time, you're right. We didn't have as much confidence then that we could just go run the ball and get two yards. We had issues at running back at the time. We were banged up at O-line. We hadn't built up the depth and the experience level that we have now. Um, and, you know, now if we're in that situation again, I think we'll have more options. Is that what it was as far as the program? Because uh, Kalani takes over. You weren't there at the beginning, but you've been here now a good number of years. And with BYU, whoever takes over that first class, well, we'll see you in three years, essentially, yeah. be able to get out on the field. Yeah. And and so now what, what is he going into his sixth year, I think? Yeah. Uh, and so is that where we're at And as far as, all right, the guys we recruited, the guys we identified, all that stuff, they're home now. And they're not just home, but they're home for over a year so they can get back into shape and all that stuff. How much is that contributing to the success of the program? It's just the longevity of it, given the unique nature of BYU with so many guys taking off. That is a big part of it. And part of that i got to give credit to Jeff Grimes. When he got here, he uh, he really established a culture of toughness. He, he, um, he was very demanding of our offense that we were no matter what win lose or draw we were going to be a tough physical team and that the other team was going to feel us for the whole next week and so he sort of you know he really established that and then um he also became uh he he made our whole staff accountable as far as our personnel goes so hey you're responsible for your position group and we're not going to make excuses about who recruited who uh, but now that we're, you know, I'm going into my fourth year, most of the players we're coaching now are guys that we we recruited or guys that we know really well that we um, have had a chance to develop and teach and, and, and get to know. And so we know what we're going to get when we put those guys on the field. Hey, Rod, we love chatting with you. Sorry your jazz got to yeah. be like that. That's our jazz, buddy. No, wait, they lost? Yeah, it's your jazz. <laughs> front, front runner. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> so, expect nothing less, though. So they're going to win. They're going to go down to L.A. and win. I believe it. Yeah, see? Yeah. Calling it, baby. All right, A-Rod, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's Aaron Roderick. When we come back, defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you the top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union. Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, Joe Ingles is coming up at 9 o'clock. Jazz playoff talk with Joe Ingles at the top of the hour, but right now... BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki joins us, Coach. Good to have you on the air again. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Appreciate you guys having me on. So I'm curious. I just read the 60 and 60 promo there, and I'm curious, uh, ranking the 60 best players in state, as a coach, we have always been stunned by coaches and their encyclopedic knowledge of recruiting. (laughs) PK running into one guy in a sandwich shop, who looks like a college football player, says he's getting recruited. He comes up here, runs a bike. Was it Kalani you ran a bike? Yeah, it was yeah. Down, down in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, and Kalani knew exactly who the guy was and listened to whole things about him. Kalani, Even though he said he's going to end up going to another school. You guys school. were at Utah. Yeah, and I said something in passing a few years ago when I was hosting the Kyle Whittingham show about I think USC is going to lose a game, and Kyle says, they will beat everybody. Oh, well, you know, unless they play Texas in a, in a bowl game. And sure enough, they play Texas in the Rose Bowl, and, and Vince Young beats them right at the end. And I'm amazed at how much everybody knows about all these kids and all these players. But with the transfer portal, it's like putting a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle in a box and just shaking it up every year. So do you still feel like you know all these guys and how they fit? Or does the transfer portal introduce an element of mystery to college football, to coaches that maybe didn't previously exist? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It, it certainly does add um, something different you know, to it where we've got to do a little bit more um, research into somebody that maybe regionally – was was somewhere else just played in another conference that we didn't follow as closely and then um all of a sudden is is uh is on our schedule and you know we've got to do some research into those guys and kind of see what they did in their career and how they play and and uh yeah it certainly does add a little bit something else to it so i remember several years ago i think i'm not positive so i don't i can't vouch for it but i'm pretty sure we were down at uh, Dixie High School. Remember you guys had that spring practice there? <laughs> yeah. And the uh, place was packed. Shocked me. Fortunately, I had my wife drop me off or else I would have had to park about five miles away. <laughs> There's so many people there that day. And so you guys do your thing. You have the practice, blah, blah, blah. And then, and I can remember everybody was around Sewell. He was the big kid now, well, you know, the offensive lineman. And I remember talking to you off to the side uh hour or so after then and and you told me I, i'm pretty sure it was there if not it was up here but anyway you said keep an eye on this chris wilcox and he hadn't done jack and you told me he said this guy's got nfl potential and i'm thinking defensive back byu nfl potential normally you don't see that well you were right <laughs> you call and you called it like four years ahead of time so you obviously have an eye to be able to identify that. And the nature of college football is you're going to lose guys every year. And you, you guys lost guys, lost guys to the NFL. 
How do you feel about that high-level talent that maybe the rest of us don't know about, but you've already identified, given time and experience, can slide in and to be another Tonga, to be another Wilcox? Yeah, that there's a there's a lot of credit that goes to the to the uh, recruiting staff. Um, you know, uh, Coach Lamb, Coach Coach Guilford are the ones that recruited Chris. Um, they've got they've certainly got an eye for finding those kinds of kids that uh, you know kids that may be a little um, underdeveloped uh, under recruited and uh, kids that come grateful to play here at BYU and uh, you know we've we've got a lot of kids that we're really excited for for this year you know we've you guys know we've lost a lot of guys to the draft and and uh, we're going to be young but but, uh, we've got a really good team and nice play so because your schedule is uh, as an independent is front loaded with so many good opponents and other people try to kind of ease into things i'm curious about how you try to build these guys up mentally i mean we know you got them in the weight room and and you're watching film and you're coaching them on technique and all that but until they believe they can do it you don't usually do it you know the other guy might have a little more belief how do you get young guys into that right away when your schedule tends to be difficult right away yeah, that, that that's a good question. I mean, um, it's it's hard to really get you get your team um, playing at the level that they should be without game experience, and there's really no no other substitution for for game experience. And so having having young guys, having guys that really haven't been on the field yet, um, you know, is 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 going to be a challenge. Be able to throw those guys into the fire, but I think with so many of those guys that were really coming off the bench last year and and contributing and. And, uh, you know, being part of the success that we had last year and even the, the years before that in some of the teams that we played has been huge for their, their growth and development. And they've, they've been in those spots, at least on the sideline, and kind of seeing how things have, have gone and, and uh, what's expected of them. And so, you know, that, that'll certainly add to their growth and, uh, and their confidence coming into this year. So it's not just at BYU that you get guys that are under-recruited and develop them and help them that, that they f- mature and achieve what, what, what you believe they can do. Because you do get some, some top-end talent that is viewed as top-end talent anyway coming out of high school. One of those guys is Chaz Ayu. You know, he was highly sought after. He's been in and out of the lineup, moved positions, have injuries. Where are you guys at with him as far as him being able to get out on the field and start making some major contributions consistently? Yeah, th- this has got to be a really big year for him. I mean, we're, um, you know, we're, we're because because we're young, because we don't have any, as many guys with experience. Um, we're we're asking a lot out of Chaz, and Chaz has always done a really good job in the past just answering the bell. We've moved him a bunch of different positions right. and knows what we're doing and, and uh, there'll be a lot of demand on him this year to uh, to be a leader, to be a guy that steps up and, and really fills in some of those holes that that we've got to fill while we wait for some of the young guys to Where to are you slotting them? Strong safety? Safety, yep. And that's going to be it? Depends on the game. Could end up moving them depending on on what we've got. But uh, you know, normally those guys that are playing safety, uh, rarely have we moved back to corner. We have done that with Diane. We've done it with uh, Troy. Troy. Um, depending on the game. But uh, most of those guys, when we move them, we move them back and forth from from that field backer where where Fred Warner played back to safety. But we've got we've got a lot of good linebackers. I mean, that might be the strength of our defense as far as just the position group. And, uh, you know, we're really young at the safety spot. And so thinking that safety is going to be where he, he's, uh, he's at just uh, for the most part. 
You're playing five Pac-12 teams, and one of the Pac-12 analysts had a quote about, you know, the league and the league they, the success they need to have, and they can't go two and three against BYU in that. you got three Pac-12 teams right out of the gate. Is the D-line big enough and deep enough uh, for that challenge and, and ready to go? Do you have a lot of confidence in them? I do. have a, have a lot of confidence in the D-line. Um, have a lot of confidence in the depth. Um, we don't have a lot of game experience. And so the defensive end spots probably where most of the game experience is, is uh, I mean, we don't have very, very much experience at the DN spot. We do have tackles that have played, and we've got five or six D tackles that I feel comfortable about. And you guys probably know that we rotate pretty deep just to keep those guys fresh for the majority of the year. Um, but uh, we're really young at the DN spot, and so there'll be a couple of guys that move around and try out and do some different things with some of the guys that have, have uh, you know, big-time players like Peyton Wilgar that have played both DN as well as backer and moved around, and Max Tooley as well, and we'll see how things go with that. Well, those are the two that I was going to hit when you just said you're really strong at linebacker. In my mind, anyway, as I run through it without having the stats, it seems like those two, Wilgar and Tooley, are your most experienced linebackers. Correct me if I'm wrong. Keenan Peely's the other one. And I was going to go with Peely as far as that goes. That's going to be the strength uh, of your linebacking core. But you rotate a little bit there, and you may have some injuries. Uh, How deep are you be able to handle the responsibilities and what needs to be happening from the linebacker spot? Yeah, those those three guys that you've mentioned. I mean, they're they've uh, you know game experience, just really really good players, great co- uh, contributors, leaders on the team, and I think the rest of the backer group. Um, there are a couple of guys that have a game experience, but it's a lot like the D line where we feel really good about the personnel, feel really good about the direction that we're going with that, but not as much game experience with some of those younger backers and. And uh, we're going to rely heavily on, on that veteran group to really guide and teach and, and get those other guys caught up. A couple of those Brighton guys. I don't know if I can trust them, though. I don't know about those Brighton guys. <laughs> you know what? The, the Reno Mahe, the worst Brighton guy. That's oh, one of the go. hardest guys right there to trust. No, Reno's, Reno's a great guy. He's no Brian Keel. <laughs> <laughs> Elisa Tuiaki joining us, BYU defensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, uh, PK's Sun Devils delivered a uh, beating at the end of the year, and they hit reset on that program down there. How much do you know about Arizona and what you're going to face in the opener? Been, been uh, you know, obviously doing all the, the research that we need to and watching film, and it's always tough when you're facing a new opponent that has new coordinators, new head coach, and all that stuff, and really just kind of looking into their personnel and watching their spring game, doing all the things that we can. Um, you know, there's this. It's one of those deals where it's you wish you had you had more information, you wish you had more film, and that game's coming, ready or not. And so we're uh, we're geeked up about the opportunity to play in Vegas and and uh, play them again and and uh, see where things go. Last year was the craziest season you'll ever have. I'm I'm, I'm confident in saying that with all yeah. the circumstances, right? We'll probably never, hopefully anyway, go through something like that. And the West wasn't playing, and you guys were charging on. We know the whole story. And you go 11-1, and one, and we know the controversy surrounding it. The supporters say we had a good team. Look at the NFL guys gotten drafted. The detractors. Uh, and, and we know which school they attend, but we won't say it. Uh, that, uh, yeah, well, the schedule, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to blow it up any, uh, and maybe it's overstating it, uh, but how important is it to the team and to the program to follow it up, to show, and maybe you're not even thinking of this, that, but that, and in my mind, maybe to show 
last year really wasn't a fluke. It was a combination and a culmination of having a lot of guys that were young in the program and making their way to be mature. So you had that success. And so now if you follow it up, I'm like, see, we told you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, if if we could try to attempt an encore with all those guys back, uh, I think that would be that would be a fair challenge. You know, getting getting a quarterback back and all those players that left. But you know, it's it's a new team. It's a new team. There's new storylines. There's new kids stepping up. Um, you know, we're we're excited, excited. Like I said, just about the the player and the personnel that we have. It's just it's uh it's going to be a lot different than than it was last year, just because different kids with less experience. Sure, but everybody wants you to win. Yeah, I mean uh, the the names and change the change, but the 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 goals and the expectations, the expectations. and all that stuff, absolutely. And there and we've got high expectations for ourselves. You know, I don't want to get on here and start making promises and all that stuff. I mean, there's, um, I I don't, you know, the fans talk about how many games you should win or lose and all that stuff, but I don't think you ever go into any team's locker room and. Uh, and ask them and, and, and get the same answers. I mean, nobody's going to say, nobody in your locker room is going to say, well, we think we can beat these guys and these guys, and, you know, probably if six and six would be great. I mean, nobody talks like that in any locker room, even if, you know, the new team like Arizona with a new staff and all that stuff, and they were coming off that. People are just are confident. People set their goals high, and, and everybody wants to go undefeated, and obviously uh, very many teams rarely do but we're we're confident we're we're excited we're excited for the challenge and we'll see how things go we'll we'll give you a couple slip-ups maybe 10 what do you think dj (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious how many of the guys how much it changes though that even though some of the big names and some of the guys who really produced are gone there are still guys back who started there are guys who got a lot of snaps even though they didn't start and there's something about you know whether you're upper score down a score you just score and take the lead or you give up a score and you fall behind when you've been a winning program guys tend to sit there and think okay this is what we're going to do to win the game and when you haven't been and you're coming off three and five win seasons guys can be like oh boy we're close i wonder i wonder if we can do it and when you wonder if you can do it or if you wonder if something's going to go wrong well then it usually does go wrong and so even though these are different guys, you know, is the winning a little bit of contagious and some of the stuff hangs over a little bit? Yeah, it does. The team is really confident about uh, about our performance. And, you know, obviously we'd, we'd play anybody, anywhere, anytime and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, we have enough guys on the team from last year that were a part of um, – guys on the team this year that were a part of last year that uh, confidence is high the expectations high uh, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves and the players players do that themselves how much I don't know if easier is the right word but better are you able to recruit knowing that now you have a foundation on which you can present to these recruits it's not like a, a dream or what have you it's actually there all you guys now, large portion of you have been together, particularly on the defensive side, for a number of years, and you have some success. So you can go out and say, "See, this is what we got going." It it uh, it's helped. It's helped for sure. There's there's a lot more kids that are uh, that we have their ears, you know, in recruiting that uh, maybe in the past just uh, did, didn't give the time of day. Um, it's it's a hard balancing act where 
you know you you start to feel like you're kind of getting into different uh, class of kids that you're recruiting but also still trying to keep your niche where where you know we we recruit a certain type of kid the yeah. kid that is really looking for the challenge that BYU gives them and and uh you know not not feeling like we're trying to trying to chase uh, chase kids around because those kids just don't end up end up making it here and so right. we've just got to keep uh you know keep our niche as well as um enjoy some of the some of the the kids that are starting to come to us because of the success I don't want you. Uh, I don't want to think that I'm asking you to speak for uh, you know Tom or the school or Kalani or whoever. Just you personally, when you see this talk about uh, 12 team playoff and six conference champs in, and then the next six best teams. Do you, and I know it's a long way away because coaches, you got to worry about the Arizona opener, and this is probably three years down the line or whatever. But do you get a little excited about that, that BYU is an independent? It just looks like access would be opened up, and it would still be hard, but it wouldn't be impossible. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's just obviously just speaking for myself, kind of. When it comes to, to that portion of just the game, um, I'm a fan. You know, I don't I don't have any say in what's going on, and I'm kind of dreaming big and just wondering what could happen here and there. And certainly uh, sounds like... Um, a lot a lot of different options you know for for uh, an independent school and being able to put together a good schedule and play some good teams and have a chance to go play at it i go down to pac-12 media day every year and uh you can always see we talk to every coach obviously right and you see david shaw approaching our station and he's seen the same face as me hans olsen we're down there every year we've been down there every year and it's like he starts smiling because as he's approaching he knows hey I'm getting some free airtime in a place that I recruit heavily. And he once told me off the air, he said, you tell those people at Utah, I'm coming there and I'm coming often. And he's got so many return missionaries. I mean, he you'd think he was a brother, the way he talks the language, you know. <laughs> I want these guys to come. They're, they serve all over the world. They add so much to our program, blah, blah, blah. So my thought for you on that recruiting is you're getting some opportunities to expand it. But at the same time, those kids that are normally your bread and butter are getting opportunities because at least in the west the word is out that okay we get the mission program and we're not intimidated by it and we'll wait and you know they got a quarterback up there we'll see what happens and they got several other guys so how much more difficult it is now as far as the competition because so many programs they are willing to deal with it I don't. I don't know how many more programs are. I know there's a lot of kids that we end up, uh, you know, recruiting that uh, were other other schools are on early, and then as soon as they start to hear the mission, everyone's kind of running away. And so I think it's, you know, you you've only got a couple of those schools that are out there. Obviously, the in-state schools and yeah. some, you know, a couple of others. And I think uh, it's all just most most of these teams. It's all relative to how good the player is, or at least at least how good they think he so is. So if you're a ten, they'll wait. Yeah, if they're a ten, absolutely <laughs> everybody will. Right? <laughs> and uh, you know, if they think that they can replace with somebody that's a little bit uh, that won't be going and and contribute a little bit sooner than they. And they then they don't, but I think you know our, those uh, offensive linemen that have gone uh, gone up to Oregon in the last couple of years, and um, I mean I think every single team in the country would wait for those guys to go on a mission. I think it's all all relative and how you look at those kids. Yeah. What have you done for me lately? And how quick can you do something for me again? Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, Lysa, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right. There's defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.